everyone. First question this week comes via email. Ben from Devon in the UK here, longtime listener, first time emailer. Can't afford those phone rates. We understand, Ben. That's why we're cool with the text, the email, whatever. Yes. More than happy. Please let me extend big thanks for the weekly pod. Great to listen. I appreciate the work you do in helping us all keep it creepy. First off, I want to ping a recommendation to one of your previous callers who asked about horror films set in the woods. May I humbly recommend Leaving D.C. from the year 2012? I think it's a great little movie and will definitely leave you twitching at the curtains even in the middle of nowhere. Whoa. I am I am familiar with that one. It's a phone footage movie. Guy moves from D.C. to the middle of the woods. Weird stuff starts happening. Sets up a bunch of cameras. Decides to buy a gun because when you're paranoid living by yourself in the woods, that's what you should do. Um, from the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Legal Corner. Don't do that. <laughs> uh <laughs> Back to the email. Secondly, I have a question to you all and the listeners. One of my favorite films ever is our own The Wicker Man. I believe the original, not the Nicolas Cage remake. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go ahead and, and speculate the Brit likes the original. I would assume so, yeah. Yeah. I think as a Brit, it has a certain charm and definitely plays with the kind of social construct that we have over here. That these small little enclaves definitely exist in the British countryside where people do things a little differently. Are there similar feelings with some American horror films? Does a remote farm in Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel like it's genuinely something you could stumble across? And if so, does this lend itself to the film's success? Cheers, Ben. Oh, wow. Ben. Cheers. Lots there. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. And, and yeah, I totally recommend checking out Leaving DC. I think it's on Tubi or something. I, I saw it recently pop up on one of the streaming services. Um, yeah. Man alone, weird stuff happens. Found footage. Check it out. There, there's... There's a lot of phone footage that I would recommend after. Wait. I would rank leaving DC higher than a lot of phone footage that I've seen. Um, as far as that, I, I love the setting question. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this a lot, and, and especially with one of my watches for this week, that certain places especially, and we've said this before, like New York is its own character mm-hmm. in movies. Um, Las Vegas, you know, there, there are certain places, especially in the United States, just has a certain feel. I, I can't speak to Texas very well, so maybe Megan can talk about that. But I've seen plenty of, of Lost in the Woods movies or movies where there's a, a rundown gas station, tiny isolated town. I'm like, I've been to that town, <laughs> especially like northern Minnesota, some rural parts of the country, driving through Iowa, Nebraska, things like that. So I definitely think that there's certain things where you're like, yeah, like there's a resonation there. You might not think it, but it, something looks familiar enough that it's unsettling because you're like, I think I've been to a place like that. <laughs> Did I just narrowly avoid something very terrible happening to my internal organs or was that just all in my head? Uh, what do you think, Megan? Like, is there anything about that feel, either the original Texas Chainsaw or maybe the remake or the more recent remake that resonates? Yeah, I I remember... You know, not to bring up social media, but I remember people really criticizing um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 on Netflix for its like its depiction of Texas, even though it was shot in Bulgaria or somewhere in Europe. I cannot remember. (laughs) Um, But I've been through that. There are sunflower fields in Texas. There are tiny little Mm. towns like that. I've been through like they did a good job. I mean, the filmmaker is from Austin, so he would know. Um, but yes, and same thing with the original, there are little pockets of rural country. And I do think that you could probably find similar pockets, um, 
throughout the country. And that's also part of why it resonates is there are those little rural back roads pockets where it feels like a very different universe. Um, But Texas is just so freaking massive that I think that that's Mm -hmm. kind of part of it. There are also kind of like the flip side, like the shallows. The Blake Lively Mm. shark movie where the final, this is not a spoiler, this has nothing to do with the main plot, but like the final (laughs) shot is like on Galveston Beach, but I, being from Texas, just about died laughing at the depiction that makes it look like this tropical Caribbean getaway when it's really like, (laughs) the this is where the Mississippi River spits out. There's all the sediment and oil drilling and stuff. It's brown. It's very brown. So that was very long-winded. I've definitely been hypercritical about stuff in Minnesota before depicted mm-hmm. here. The the first episode of Hannibal mm-hmm. being up in Duluth and they're showing parts of it. And I'm like, that's not Duluth. Yeah, that's not that is not what or or just or, or Fargo, things like that. And like, OK, that might be that part of Duluth or things like that. Yeah. Outsiders where, won't know, but you'll know. No. Yeah. They wouldn't know any difference. They just throw an accent on there and you're good enough. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Zena? Any Floridian or New York-based horror in particular? Yeah. Okay, so there's kind of like a, a mixture of things going on. So um, I guess I'll start with Florida because, you know, I like live here. But uh, <laughs> so I thought about the movie Crawl. That's a bit mm-hmm. extreme. I uh-huh. live more in like close to like the city. So it's just kind of like where I live, it's like my neighbors, um, they're not like right on top of me. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's not as spaced out. So it's just kind of weird to uh, to even think about that. But, um, or even with the movie Frogs, I recently rewatched that one. Oh my God, it's insane. I don't know why they call it Frogs. It was only like a couple. But anyway, um, with that one as an example, that was very much in a woodsy type of area. I mean, I have a, there's like a forest in my backyard. So I don't know if that counts. New York wise, it's like, it's, I can think of a lot of like non-horror movies that I feel kind of describes it well. Like as an example with Jason, when he takes Manhattan, it's just like, I was so like, I love that movie, but it was just like, (laughs) no, it's, it's not empty like that. It's just like, it's not empty like that. So it's just like, that was so extreme, especially in Times Square. Never, yeah. you know? That gets me. Every movie set in New York and two people are just walking down yeah. the sidewalk and there's no one else. Like, well, no, no, no. And, it, and it, like, <laughs> it depends, too. So, like, even with, um, like, I really like the Midnight Meat Train. I know they don't oh, really yeah. say the city. Well, they say the city, right? Yeah. And it's just like, yes, there are trains that's empty. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen that plenty of times. Um, And even, like, Again, like non-horror movies, like even where I grew up, I grew up um, in this place called Yonkers and there's a movie that they filmed there called um, The Preacher's Wife. That's not a horror, but it was supposed to take place in a little tiny town. Is that the Denzel Washington movie? Yes. Yeah, that's the one, John. Look at you. So (laughs) look at me knowing all these movies the last couple of weeks. What's happening? You know, we're going to if something happens today, we're going to fight like I'm jumping through the screen. (laughs) Oh, no, something's yeah, going to happen. I haven't had like one that I felt like, oh, well, they, they, horror, that I felt like they like captured it like perfectly. They just think Canada's yeah. New York most of the time. Yeah. Which is exactly, it's fine. <laughs> it, it's, it's tough to capture the right feel for certain movies. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, like Synchronic, I thought was so, I really like Synchronic so much because it captured New Orleans in a way that's not just. Mardi Gras and parades and mm. Bourbon Street. 
And I think that that's it's difficult as a filmmaker when you're trying to root or root the story in a location mm-hmm. that sometimes they go so overboard with reminding you that it's the location that you lose the feel of the place itself. You know what, though? That might be, like, the perfect answer as far as New Orleans is definitive. There is no other place really like it, and it's instantly no. iconic and recognizable. You mm-hmm. can't you can't really fake New Orleans. No. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago with, like, Jordan Peele. Maybe it was during the, the Nope deep dive saying that uh, comedy is funny when you wrote it in reality and horror is scary when you wrote it in reality. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that familiarity that we have that really is the resonation. Mm -hmm. It's the awkwardness of these social situations or the the scary places and feeling alone and isolated. It's the familiarity more than anything else that I think makes horror work for us. Oh, great question, Ben. That was was like our longest answer in a long time. (laughs) Uh, Okay, second one. Also an email from Todd in Texas. There are certain actors and actresses that seem to almost exclusively be in horror movies. Recent examples I'm thinking of would be Bill Skarsgård, Andy Matichuk, uh, Pat Healy, Bill Sage, Justin Long, and of course Jenna Ortega. Is this because they're seeking out roles in horror movies or casting people are seeking them out? Is it a situation where they're typecast for roles in horror movies? Thanks and keep up the great work. Thanks, Todd. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, Zena? I think it's both. You know, I think that they're known for that. And I think that they have an interest in doing it. So just to keep it short and sweet. Fair enough. How about you, Megan? I think it's more to do with horror's mainstream popularity lately Mm. than anything. I don't think they're necessarily being typecast. Like Jenna Ortega is getting attention for genre roles but she did uh the fallout which is on hbo max and this this is a drama very like kind of sad drama um of her living through a school shooting and and then the fallout from that so it's a drama and it was out last year but nobody knows it but they know you know wednesday and and uh some of the more popular scream clearly um so i don't really think that they're being typecast i do think that horror success means that we see them more in that for two reasons both that that's what we know that's what we recognize that's what's popular and two like because they are successful movies they are more likely to go for them than they were before if that makes sense yeah i think my answer kind of just plays off what both of you are saying and i think that horror is in I think just a really amazing time and has been for the last few years where we're seeing so much more depth to it that you get plenty of surface level horror cut and paste cliche filled horror that's just that's great to watch it's comfortable and it's familiar and there's these filmmakers that are making amazingly deep layered horror out there that need actors who can do that and that's taking some bigger names and some more successful actors and actors with bigger range to pull off these roles in the first place and and I think there are also some actors, they probably also see it that way, too. I mean, you can't... Anyone who argues that Tony Collette didn't at least deserve an Academy Award nomination for Hereditary is insane. Like, the range that she had to portray in that performance, most actors will never, ever have a role anywhere near something like what she pulled off. 
And to show that kind of depth in what's going on and that turmoil and, and, and chaos it is takes a fantastically talented actor to be able to do. And sometimes to their detriment, I'm sure psychologically it's really difficult to do in the first place. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think part of it is we're finding, they're also finding actors who can do it. Like, because horror, despite the stigma of what people who aren't horror fans might see and think Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Grindhouse type things, it is incredibly deep and layered. Like Mia Goth, like her performances, like like what we've seen in Pearl and X and Infinity Pool lately and Barbarian. Like these are complex roles. These are not simple roles. So I, I think that probably casting directors are also like, we can't just do a casting call for a horror movie. <laughs> we have to have someone who can pull this off right out the gate. So yeah, I like I think it's I, like I said, it's just an amazing time for horror. We get like like the best of everything right now. We get more people making more horror for cheaper and more options to make their stuff available and short horror on YouTube and everything else. And we get big budgets and everything. It's like, really can't ask for much more. And we get great actors wanting to do it, which is also super cool. Mm-hmm. Not, not actors that become great actors, but ones who are already established. So, all right. I'm just all like hyped up now so welcome to the bloody disgusting podcast everyone the podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world end up with discuss the disgusting you know her as lead movie critic for bloody disgusting horror movie fanatic and journalist megan navarro hey megan hello and you know her from youtube channel and website real queen of horror and her infinite love for the genre zena dixon hey zena hi oh. hi and i'm john if you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do a quick round the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe it'll be things that'll make you smile too. So, Zena, what's been filling your heart this week? No switcheroonie? I was expecting now, a switcheroonie, but well, okay. Well, there's still time to be a switcheroonie. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think I need time. I'm thirsty. All right. Megan, what's <laughs> filling your heart this week? Uh, well, I was feeling a little inspired by a certain movie releasing this week, so I checked out Prophecy. Uh, this came out nice. in 1979. It is available on Prime Video. It is about a government health inspector. He's dispatched to assess the damage a logging company is causing to a patch of forest claimed by Native Americans and comes face-to-face with true terror wreaking havoc in the woods. This is... An interesting one. Uh, This was directed by John Frankenheimer, uh, who's done Reindeer Games, Ronin, uh, 1986's Island of Dr. Moreau. That's a whole fun one. A whole separate episode there. But anyways, um, it's really slow. There's there's a lot of drama um, that's happening. Um, there's friction between the Native Americans and the logging company. It's the logging company's fault that there's problems to begin with because the pesticides that they're using basically is causing some toxic waste runoff that is feeding into the wildlife. Hence, you have this mutant bear, uh, among other mm-hmm. things. But you don't really get to see the mutant bear until like the third act. It's really just this back and forth drama. And then, you know, the inspector brings his pregnant girlfriend and that's a whole subplot that never goes anywhere. Um, (laughs) But it's still, there's, there's, if you're a fan of, you know, animal attack type movies, this is 
it's a good one to check off the list for just interesting reflection of the time and it's still still some prescient themes there um and you know it's really one of those like kind of tragic ones to me kind of like orca where you you really almost root for the animal because it's not their fault you know it's always it's always human's fault um <laughs> but yeah it's it's fun it's it's a, it's it is a bit sluggish but it's got some good effects and some some uh talent behind it for sure and then because um, this weekend was the 30th anniversary, I uh, pulled out my 4K of my Scream Factory release of Army of Darkness. I watched the director's cut because there's like three or four different cuts on this thing. The theatrical director's cut, international cut slash TV cut. So, hmm. yeah, if you don't know, it's the third one in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy. This one takes the uh, sardonic hardware store clerk ashley j williams um gets him transported into time 1300 ad almost was called medieval dead um Mm. yeah he's gotta he's gotta retrieve the necronomicon battle an army of the dead so he can return home i feel like everybody's familiar with this one uh the the director's cut is very like kind of adult like there there's a lot of extended shots a lot of extended sequences they get to show off like you know the harryhausen nods and just the medieval stop motion carnage and fun and mayhem but there's also like i don't know i remember the sheila thing being a lot less risque than than it is uh Mm -hmm. so yeah there's some implications there as she as uh evil ash kind of strips her down before she turns evil so i'm like interesting very interesting but yeah it's got the it's got the ending which i won't spoil if you if you haven't seen um but i i do like this i do like this cut better overall i think even though you can't go wrong so yeah was it the original ending or this has the alternate ending this is the original intended it's the director's cut which okay the 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 one where he messes up his lines again uh he he messes up a a potion that he's drinking yeah yeah and things take longer than expected we'll say if you haven't seen it (laughs) all right xena are are you ready yeah i'm ready or do you want me to go (laughs) i'm I'm gonna hey i'm gonna give you the it's up to you no pressure no pressure. I don't. No pressure. I don't. I don't know anymore. No. Yeah, I can go. Um. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just my. Um. Okay. Yeah. So it was a week, guys. <laughs> I had a week on me, and you know, sometimes when you have a rough week and you just want to see some blood and just terribleness so i decided yeah to check i'm a out. parent and a husband <laughs> yes i checked out uh project wolf hunting uh just came out this year well released this year on apple tv during a transport a group of harding criminals stage a break a jailbreak that it escalates into a bloody all-out riot all the fugitives all the fugitive except one point is look this craziness, okay, that happened. Sorry, I can't talk today. They're all on board this ship, and there's something far more terrifying that emerges, and it's fantastic. The best way to describe this, mm. and I've heard someone else say it, and I was thinking, I was like, we're so connected. It's Con Air meets the sadness, and I know we all, we all talked about the sadness and how hyper, like, the violence is insane, the blood. Look, you should check out this movie because someone is beaten to death with their own arm. That's <laughs> just go watch it. That's that's the only reason. It is about two hours long, but I found myself really sucked into the world. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So if you ever want to blow off some steam, you can check out uh, Project Wolf Hunting. So 
Love it. Are there a lot of movies on Apple TV? We just started watching just, Ted Lasso. I've not perused at all. I just started with the uh, with the streaming service. Like I, it's, okay. I'm just started trying it out this weekend. I kind of forgot that I had it, and you know, trying to... we yeah, we didn't have it. My wife got an iPhone, so we're like, oh, let's try Ted Lasso, and then we're like, uh, there's, okay. there's, <laughs> there's stuff on. There's lots of stuff. Uh, then the next thing is I binged watch uh, Red Rose. It's this series on Netflix. It's basically about these teenagers during the summer. They are trying to survive after downloading an app that has that's basically de- demanding dangerous and deadly things. Um, there's eight episodes. The episodes are about 40 to 45 minutes each. Um, I really enjoyed this one. It felt original um, because you can see like the relationship between the teenagers, but then also how they are with you know, social media online. And we, I feel like I'm always telling you guys this all the time, but I love like social media influencer type based horror movies. And um, yeah, it was just really cool to, this sounds terrible, but it starts off pretty awesome mm-hmm. because someone receives like a, an app, you know, without yeah. going into spoilers and they, she decides to download it to try it out. And it seems like a pretty cool app. You know, I would try it out <laughs> because I, I'm one who gets sucked into that stuff. Uh, But I love the fact how it is like a teen based show, you know, they have like their teenage problems, like these besties or not really besties, but um, there's always something that's like dark looming over them. And as the viewer, we don't know if it's something supernatural or if it's something else. And I thought that that was a really interesting approach. There's Mm -hmm. room for there to be like a second season. I'm not too sure if that's something that they'll do. I'm kind of, I kind of feel satisfied, you know, yeah. I kind of like that. It's like a question mark, um, like at the end of it, but I think that this will, well, for me, it makes me now think twice before downloading another app. So, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So is this kind of like the blue whale challenge? I don't know. What I don't that even is. know what the blue. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> what is it's so fu- it's so funny because I'm like the old guy on the podcast, <laughs> no, and yet because not. of like my role in creepy pastas, I hear about this stuff. The Blue Whale Challenge was this rumor that kind of went around, whether it exists or not. It, it the, the concept was it was a it was an escalating series of challenges mm-hmm. that kind of led to like self mutilation, and then the, the rumor was is that the theory at the end of it was like suicide. Oh, and mm. it, it went around. It was supposedly like a Russian app, and. That's crazy. Largely, widely debunked is like the Momo mm-hmm. thing, um, but it freaked enough people out that they're like, "Oh God, kids are killing themselves in mass because of it." <laughs> like, no, they're not. Stop. Oh. Don't do that. But no, <laughs> because first of all, you just make kids look for this stuff. Yeah, that's that. Of... Okay, yeah, I can see them definitely looking. But no, this isn't like that. It starts off like it's it's kind of like a friend, like it's kind of like encouraging you, and mm-hmm. it'll ask you things like what's three things that you want and they'll give you like a challenge to write what you want like on your mirror and Mm -hmm. they come true but Mm -hmm. you know there's there's something in return and things aren't as they see like at first it's like really cool like this is not really a spoiler Uh, yes it is okay i was just gonna spoil it it. no it sounds super cool go watch it and it's on netflix good for you netflix I started with Megan's pick this week, 1981's The Beyond, which I watched on Screenbox, but it's also available on Tubi. A young woman inherits an old hotel in Louisiana where, following a series of supernatural accidents, she learns that the building was built over one of the entrances to hell. 
All right, Megan, why this one? Uh, you like kind of not handholdy slash cosmic horror, and uh, this is a major blind spot filmmaker for you. This is one uh-huh. of his most beloved. So I thought if you were going to like Fulci, this would probably be the winner. Well, you were right yeah. uh, about all the things you said, too. It does not hold your hand at all. No. There was plenty of times I was watching you like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Uh, I, I saw parts of it that felt like it was um, uh, like inspiration for, oh, God, what was that Scott Bakula movie? It was Lord, Lord of Illusions. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where, like, the beginning felt very Lord of Illusions opening type thing. Uh, the, the gore in it is crazy. So are the special effects. Or sorry, not special effects. The 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 sound effects. Yeah, sound design. Splatter. The sounds of the sounds of tarantulas in particular. It's very interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah. Uh, the ADR is really weird because, as far as I can tell, everyone's speaking English. Yes. But then they're ADR'd on top of it. Not great like they were still clearly working on the adr aspect of it all you'll find that a lot in a lot of that era yeah okay yeah like it felt like it was almost like an italian like it, like it was shot in italian or something and like dubbed over like i've seen from like some italian horror before uh but it, it is it's it's weird and goopy and gory and hyper violent and you don't really know why things are happening, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Like, it just works. And it's set in Louisiana, so that's just a win for me anyway. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it was it was my first, like, dive into Fulci, but I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, I, I could definitely, yeah, I could definitely go back and watch it again. Like, it, it that works for me. I can put this on rotation, even like with Rosemary's Baby. Like, I was like, yeah, this works way better than I thought it was going to. Yeah. So, question. Well, question for you both. So, say if you mm-hmm. inherit like a hotel. Yeah. This hotel, what would you yeah. do with it? Would you keep it? Yeah. <laughs> Open that shit right up. Oh my God. <laughs> Bringing everyone to hell with me, baby. I'm so I'm not going to be alone. I'm, st- I'm too lazy to want to run or fix up a hotel. Somebody, somebody take it off my hands. Oh no, that that's like that's the obituary you're gonna see out of me someday. <laughs> he was last heard trying to open a hotel in Louisiana oh. and then he was just gone. Oh, it was a gate it was a hotel over a gate of hell. Was, yeah, it was a gate of hell. What are you gonna do? <laughs> These things happen sometimes. There's seven of them evidently, so yeah. I'm bound to find one of them sooner or later. And then I watched 2018's Haunting on Fraternity Row, which was a Xena pick that I saw on Tubi. A fraternity house throws their big winter luau party. When fraternity brothers and co-eds begin dying horrible deaths, they discover an evil entity has taken over the house. All right, Zena, why this one? Besides, I'd seen the other ones. Well, on I list. was going to say, I don't know. But, okay, I thought of something. <laughs> because 85, that's why I was laughing, because I forgot. Like, you asked us why this one. And, you know, Megan had a really great answer. I'm like, oh, it's just, no. So, <laughs> There's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. It's like I'm that kid in school that didn't do my book report and I have to get up and make something up. I ask every week. I forgot. No. Okay. Honestly, because 
85% of the time, it's just these guys just partying and being horrible. Everybody in this movie is horrible, but yeah. I like the concept of these like college boys. They accidentally unleash something. Um, it just kind of gets a little lost in the sauce, but I think it's fun. And you like found footage, so... Listen, there. if anyone's going to release demons into the world, it's going to be some frat guys. I that. Uh, so I'm not sure how to tell you this. It's okay. Because I'm mildly afraid of you jumping no, to the computer you, you've screen. No, you've probably seen it already. Yeah, I'd seen okay. it already. I, that's, I just I was forgot thinking I'd seen that, it. But I was like, maybe because maybe I threatened him, he was scared. No, I I, I, I genuinely did not remember that I'd seen it until I started watching it okay. again. It had been years ago. I was totally fine watching it again because I think I just turned it on as background noise that I didn't really pay attention to the last time through. Um, you know, the way you say, like, these are, these are unlikable guys, I totally agree. I, you don't like any of the characters in it. But it works better for me than the the, the typical unlikable character. Mm -hmm. Because they're, in, they're unlikable, but they're not so over-the-top unlikable. Like, I like going back to, like, like Tales from the Crypt. The one where Will Wheaton has to do the fraternity pledge, uh, where they go into a haunted house, and um, uh, not Matt Dillon, Dillon, who's his brother, who is in um, Entourage, uh, one of the Dillon Kev brothers, Kevin anyway. Dillon, Kevin Dillon, Kevin Dillon. He's so over the top, mm -hmm. like uh, evil in that, and like just mean to the pledges that you're like, wow, what, what, what what's <laughs> the sadist? It's weird. These guys were just frat bro dicks yeah you know i'm like okay i can handle that and they get their comeuppance and they, they look stupid in front of each other enough <laughs> times and things like that um but it's it's still fun mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it, it is a complete opposite of the beyond in every way shape <laughs> and form yeah uh, but it's a but it's totally a movie that you can just turn on and watch because they're morons being morons but at the same time they couldn't have necessarily done anything better. Mm -hmm. They're just kids who did something stupid, not thinking that the occult was going to happen. Right. And then, you know, eyes start, you know, going away and watch it for yourself. Um, I still liked it, though. <laughs> I just liked it in a completely different part of my brain than I liked it beyond. Yeah. Like... Uh, I think yeah. I think when I first saw it, I watched that one, like um Haunting on Fraternity Row. Mm -hmm. Um, after I checked out um Dude Bro Party Massacre. So yeah. I thought it was gonna be like that, mm -hmm. you sure. know, more of a comedic tone. And mm -hmm. I think they was trying to be more serious. And I think maybe if they would have went more that, you know, comedic tone, I think it would have been better. Yeah, I, I like Dude Bro Party Massacre three more mm -hmm. because it it's still uh, Haunting of Fraternity Row is still leaning into the stereotypes of fraternities and like the ridiculous Animal House-esque yeah. type behavior and, and no foresight type characters. Um, so yeah, I, I I prefer even going heavier on that like sarcasm and that parody. Mm -hmm. I think it works a little better, but it's still totally watchable. Like it's, if you want to see some entitled frat bros and sor <laughs> sorority sisters like dying, Go watch Haunting of Fraternity Row. You're going to see lots of it. And it works. And the little brother is pretty damn funny. I just, <laughs> I, I think the first time I watched it, I'm like, this guy's a dick. I hate <laughs> this kid. And then I watched the second time, I'm like, no, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we move on, what did we watch and how did we watch it? 
I watched uh, Prophecy on Prime Video and Army of Darkness, the director's cut on uh, Screen Factory 4K. I checked out Project Wolf Hunting on Apple TV and also um, Red Rose on Netflix. And I watched 1981's The Beyond on Screenbox, or it's also available on Tubi. You, just a quick note, if you're going to look it up on Tubi especially, you have to type The Beyond. Just Beyond, it's like looking up Triangle. Mm. You're not going to have a lot of luck. And I also watched 2018's Haunting on Fraternity Row. I think we said Sorority Row last week, but it's Fraternity Row, <laughs> which I also watched on Tubi. I don't need homework for this week. All right. But I'm prepared this time. My list You're prepared? is fresh. Okay, hold, hold, it on, hold on to it for next week because I have a couple that I, I don't want to forget about that I want to watch for next week. All right. And you're going to be ready. And you can even build a list so, you, so we don't have to fight. Okay. I'm prepared. Although people listening probably want to see that. <laughs> we'll save that for YouTube someday, one of these days. All right, enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? Uh, just as a refresher, Warner Brothers is actively developing a fresh new sequel to 2007's I Am Legend. Will Smith is returning for the next chapter as star as and producer. He'll be joined on screen by Black Panther's Michael B. Jordan, who will also produce the film. Now, if uh, you have been a longtime listener, you probably had the same question we did, which is, <laughs> how is Will huh? Smith going yeah. to be part of this? Well... Uh, recently, Akiva Golds Goldsmith uh, Goldsman, who has adapted Richard Matheson's 1954 novel back in 2007, he's returning to write the follow-up. Goldsman explains how a sequel to I Am Legend starring Will Smith is even possible all these years later. So I guess you might want to mute or fast forward for the next like 30-ish seconds if you don't want to be spoiled to the 1954 <laughs> novel or the 2007 movie. Um, but the first movie ends with Smith's character saving the cure, dying in the process. Well, Goldsmith explained, this will start a few days later than the first. I am obsessed with The Last of Us, where we see the world just uh, post-apocalypse, but also after a 20 to 30 year lapse. You see how the Earth reclaims the world, and there's something beautiful in the question of, as man steps away from being the primary tenant, what happens? That will be especially visual in New York, which is interesting because I feel like Last of Us got it from I Am Legend. You do see a little bit of that in I Am Legend. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the tail Ouroboros thing happening. Anyways, uh, I don't know if they'll climb up to the Empire State Building, but the possibilities are endless. Uh, we trace back to the original Matheson book and the alternate ending as opposed to the released ending in the original film. What Matheson was talking about was that man's time on the planet as dominant species has come, had come to an end. It's a really interesting thing we're going to get to explore. There'll be a little bit more fidelity to the original text. So... If you had seen it, you might want to get that DVD or rent it from the library or whatever and bone up because they're ignoring the theatrical and going to the alternate cut <laughs> to pick up their story. Whoa. Which, Man, that is a bold move. It is interesting. I mean, it. you're going more, more towards the actual text versus like, let's go with this more uplifting-ish ending. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that answers... I mean, Hollywood has not been afraid to retcon stuff. Let's... I mean, at this point... Is it really a surprise? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have Will Smith, you got some explaining to do. So there's your explanation. And that's just the starting point of the story. So we don't know anything beyond that, which is cool. 
Um, and speaking of more stuff that we are very familiar with, uh, Millennium Media is developing a new live action Hellboy movie. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Brian Taylor, who was behind Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, Mom and Dad and Crank, has been chosen to direct the movie for Millennium. It's currently titled yes. Hell- Hellboy the Cooking Man. Uh, it is based on the miniseries from 2008. Production is already starting next month in Bulgaria. Uh, the story is said to expand Hellboy's world through one of the most beloved issues of the comic series. The new film will see Hellboy and a rookie BPRD agent stranded in 1950s rural Appalachia. There they discover a small community haunted by witches led by a local devil with troubling connection to Hellboy's past, the Crooked Man. Of particular note, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola wrote the script for Hellboy, the Crooked Man, alongside author screenwriter Christopher Golden. Um, their quote on this is the Hellboy man, or the Hellboy man, the Crooked Man is a departure from all previous Hellboy films where Mike Mignola and the creator of the comics will finally, Mike Mignola is the creator of the comics, will finally uh, shepherd an authentic version of his stories and characters in film form said the Millennium Media's president, uh, Jeffrey Greenstein. This is the first in a series of films that will captivate audiences in familiar and new ways. Brian Taylor is an expert across the board, and I couldn't think of a better person to bring this story to life to show our audience this different and original Hellboy slate of films. So, Del Toro got two movies under Hellboy, did not get to complete his uh, trilogy, and then it was rebooted again with Neil Marshall, and now this is another kind of reboot. Um, So who knows who will be Hellboy this time? But I guess we're about to find out. Yeah, I didn't see anything if David Harbour was coming back or not, or if they were going with someone else. I also saw that they were going to, they were trying to make it more like atmospheric, like the, the rumor, I guess, along the lines of like The Witch. Like wow, that's a that's a bold way to go with Hellboy. Um, I'm all for it, totally. I'm more curious about the director. Being familiar with his previous movies, having a heavily atmospheric thematic movie. Let's just say Crank isn't that. So it'll be it, it it'll be interesting to see what the director pulls off. Just knowing his previous works is is not. Not that, um, but I love Hellboy, and I like to see the new directions they're going. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the David Harbour one, but it wasn't David Harbour's fault. Like I think, it just and, and I loved Bobby Yaga, yeah, the, and the Chicken House and everything. I thought that was awesome. It's just you know, not every movie's going to be a hit. Yeah. This is what it is. I have a confession to make. Um, okay, I only I only watched the first Hellboy. And um, I wasn't too crazy about it. You know, I like the oh, okay. the theme. I like the storyline. I like the actors. But, you know, it just didn't do it for me. So hearing the director, because I used to be so obsessed with Crank. And, like, just, like, the, <laughs> like his type of style is very, like, fast in your very face. Very frenetic. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know why I did that with my. I'm glad only you guys can see it. But um, just, just, just hands. Magic yeah. sprinkles. Yeah. But. I think that it could be an interesting approach, but then again, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. Do you guys think that I should um, go back, watch the franchise, like see how I feel about it? No, because it sounds no. like it's like they're going for yet another reboot that's not affiliated with either mm-hmm. or, which means that you don't need to. True. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think that there's uh, honestly, I think you can watch any of the Hellboy movies as 
standalones. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, the second one leans a little bit on the relationships that were built in the first one, but I still think it can kind of be its own thing. And I agree, you know, the first time I watched Hellboy, I was I was impressed by the practicals and the makeup and everything like mm-hmm. that, but I wasn't really drawn in because I was never a Lovecraft guy. And if you watch the original Hellboy, it's very Lovecraftian. But I really started to appreciate the beauty of del toro's work and just like almost the magic Mm -hmm. that you see on screen not actual magic but yeah the visual magic of it all and he's always great with that yeah yeah and the depiction of the old gods floating through space and things like that and and um uh what's the name of the 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 rasputin like being detached from time and things like that i thought there was there's definitely and ron perlman's fantastic obviously Mm -hmm. uh but no i get it i mean like like i get anyone not particularly liking a movie if the themes or the tone or especially the comic booky type nature of the characters don't land i get that i don't think you need to watch them i think they're Mm -hmm. worth a watch but yeah i'm just excited for the next one all right well i think this is uh creepy news for xena if you are arachnophobic. <laughs> um, production has wrapped in Sydney, Australia, on Kaya Roach-Turner's Sting, inspired by one of humanity's greatest fears. Spiders. Spiders. Uh, uh, the film stars Ryan Kaur, uh, Alila Brown, Penelope Mitchell, Robin Nevin, Noni Hazelhurst, and Jermaine Fowler. And the plot uh, follows a mysterious object that falls out of the sky, smashes through a window of a rundown apartment building. It's an egg, and from this egg emerges a strange little spider discovered by a 12-year-old girl who connects and kind of raises this thing, keeps it as a secret pet, names it Sting, until, you know, things go real, real wrong. Because it's a horror movie. Uh, five-time Academy Award winner Weta Workshop, led by creative director Richard Taylor, uh, who's behind Blade Runner 2049, King Kong, Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead. He, they created the physical effects out of their workshop in New Zealand. So it is a practical effect-driven uh, spider arachnophobic nice. creature feature. Uh, Roach Turner, that name doesn't sound familiar. Um, that director is behind Wormwood Re- Road of the Dead, mm-hmm. Necrotronic, mm-hmm. Uh, Wormwood Apocalypse. So it's probably going to get a little messy is what I'm <laughs> I'm thinking. Um so, yeah, there is a first picture uh, look at this big spider dangling above a little girl's head. Yeah. And uh, this news happened to coincide on the same day as the announcement of another movie that is currently filming in Paris. It's called Vermin, and it is another venomous spider horror movie. This time, instead of going practical effects, they're not going to bother with VFX. No, they're using uh, real spiders. So, if you are arachnophobic, we have a lot of spider movies on the way. Yeah. I so I mean, I'm going to watch it. It's just, you know, that's like real life horror. So Yeah, yeah. I'll watch it and report back and let you know on this on the danger scale. All right, listeners, your turn. Are there alternate endings to horror movies you prefer over the theatrical release? Can you imagine the look on Zena's face as Megan was describing the plot of Sting? I bet you can. You can call or text us at 224-475-1040. The number is also in the show notes. Or feel free to email us at bdisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. 
Finally, Zine is going to make all our lives easier in the sea of horror movie options and clue us in on what's appearing soon that we should be watching. So, Zina, what should we be watching? We have a very light week. So, first up on Wednesday. So, by the time this episode is out, the British psychological thriller The Strays will be available on Netflix. A woman's crafted life of privilege starts to unravel when two strangers show up in her quaint suburban town. Dim, 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 dim. That's a, supposed to be a scary song. Okay. And then on Friday, the 24th, uh, we have, we have, first we have, um, we have a ghost. This will be hitting Netflix. After finding a ghost with a murky past haunting their new home, a family becomes, inter- becomes an internet sensations and targets of the shadow, shadowy government agency. So David Harbour's in this one, Anthony Mackie, Jennifer Coolidge. So what an all-star team. Then finally, <laughs> the dark comedy action Cocaine Bear will be in theaters. Yay! Yay. My son was literally <laughs> asking me today about cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> you are not the first person I've heard that. Yeah. What? Like, do you mean like something in Cocaine Bear? He's like, yeah. What's what's a drug, Dad? Oh. <laughs> well, son. <laughs> some of them are used to get through the day. <laughs> Just not so, cocaine. Yeah, don't do that. So you guys are going to go like, are you guys going to go see it in theaters? I'm. I might. We'll yeah. see that. That might be a fun date movie. Honestly, get him some powdered sugar donuts. <laughs> I think so. You've been asking about it forever. I know, but it's also it's a movie theater. Yeah. And I don't have anything against the theater. It's just it's the process of having the sitter and going out at the right time instead mm-hmm. of like going out to dinner or something like that. And if there's something in the theater, Infinity Pool worked out. It was just like we want to get out of the house. And I was having dry January. So I was like, well, I don't want to go to a bar. So let's go to Infinity Pool. And yeah, I mean, I'll totally see it. I guess I could go by myself, couldn't I? As an adult You're with an free adult. will and money, I could go <laughs> purchase a movie ticket. Hmm. I'll think about that. You keep us updated. So um, we talked about the movie plenty of times, but after ingesting a duffel bag full of cocaine, a 500 pound American black bear goes on a killing rampage in a small Georgia town where a group of locals and tourists must join forces to survive the attack. Based on a true story. Are you wearing your T-shirt when you go? Oh, I will. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think I've worn holes in it at this point, too. (laughs) Love it. it. That's character so it's fine (laughs) i'm gonna tell my wife that (laughs) (laughs) then on also on friday we have a bunker this will be available on vod um trapped in a bunker during world world war one a group of soldiers are faced with an ungodly presence that that slowly turns them against each other as paranoia and fear grow between them the men experience the true hell of war and finally, on Tuesday, uh, the 28th, we have Mandrake. This one is also available on Shutter, but now you'll be able to own it. So, yay. So, yeah, Mandrake yeah. follows uh, probation officer Kathy Madden, who is given the task of rehabilitating a notorious killer known as Bloody Mary Laidlaw. Back into society after 20 years in jail, Kathy has always believed that every client deserves a shot at redemption, but her beliefs are firmly tested when two children disappear near Mary's farm. Uh-oh. That's all. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, that's all. <laughs> and I mean, guys, I tell you this every week. You need to get your life together. You can it's your world. Screen box. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. 
Love it. Every episode might be someone's first. Okay, I'm sorry. It's okay. I appreciate you. I like the spice, though. Sometimes you need. Yeah. Sometimes you need tough love. Yeah, That's true like, for all the people who uh, this isn't the first episode and who haven't checked but out Screenbox. If it is your first episode, why? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I blame you. I don't know where that why was directed, but I don't think I want to know. So instead, I'll just say that's the bloody disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on our own website, realqueenofhorror.com, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at LovelyZena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod, or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. I'm Xena. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody. Get your life together. (laughs) 